You're listening to Sportsnet Today with Logan Gordon on Sportsnet 960 The Fan. All right, we are kicking off Hour 2 of Sportsnet Today on this Wednesday, February 14th. It's Logan Gordon along with you in the Doug Lacey's Basement Systems downtown studios. For Doug Lacey's Basement Systems, Crack Foundation, Boeing Foundation Walls, they have a simple permanent solution to stabilize your foundation. Contact Basement Systems. They're all things basement, even at dlbasementsystems.com. Perfect the Calgary Flames on a practice day at the Scotiabank Saddledome. They're next out Thursday. And they welcome in the San Jose Sharks for the first of four at home. Head coach Ryan Huska and Andre Kuzmenko checking in after practice. Also, our Valentine's edition of Wild Card Wednesday in Hour 1. If you missed any of it, check us out on the podcast. Google, Amazon, Spotify, or your favorite podcatcher. We'd love to have you along for the ride. Fan feedback line open to you at 960-960. And we're kicking off Hour 2 with one of my favorite conversations of the week. We head down the Atlas Beach and Sports Bar guest hotline. Welcome our pal from Sportsnet and the host of the fan pregame show. It's Ailish Forfar along with us. Happy Valentine's Day, Ailish. How are you? Hey, happy Valentine's Day. I gotta listen to all your other interviews and see if you start them with one of my favorite interviews of the week because <laughs> every time I'm like, that's so nice. And then I'm like, mm, I'm gonna listen tomorrow at 4 p.m. and see if you say the same thing, all right? <laughs> the only other person I do that with is when Cuthbert comes on, but that's the only other one, I promise. <laughs> Um, Cuthbert and I are going to fight soon, I think. Because we're always sitting at the office and I'm like, oh, I got to go talk to my guy, Logo. And he's like, oh, yeah. You know, I had to turn it down. I'm like, yeah, yeah, shut up. Uh, (laughs) How's things been? Uh, Been a busy week since we chatted. There's been Leafs hockey, but all everyone wants to talk about is what happened on on Saturday in the Battle of Ontario. I've been excited to chat with you about this because, uh, (laughs) look, it even got out here. We had to dive into it this week on the show and and sort of talk about it. Let's go back to to that incident Saturday with Ridley Gregg. Did you have a problem with anything that, that happened in that whole scenario, Ailish? Uh, okay. This has been so – we have consumed this story to, <laughs> like, the end of its – like, there's nothing left to it, but I'm ready to do it again because we're going to have to do it again on my show. Anyway, so – I think I'm watching the game and, you know, Ridley Gregg takes the slap shot into the net. And I, I laughed because it's just like, man, you know, you can't do that because, but then I'm like, you know, why not? It is the battle of Ontario, your rivals, you know, Torontonians come and they pack that barn. And it's, we've talked about wanting the battle of Ontario to mean more, to be spicier. And he certainly turned the spice level up. So I kind of laughed when he did it because obviously, you you know, I've played like I would never do that. Um, I just think there's that, there's like an unwritten rule and I don't know who wrote it or how long it's been around, but yeah, you don't take a slap shot from like the crease into the net and you know what you're doing when you do that. So like, you know what? He took on the villain role and then Morgan Riley, he comes and, Obviously, I think there, something had to happen as a, as a ter- like as a type of retaliation to uh, that type of play. I think I would have been more uh, receptive of Morgan Riley dropping the gloves and starting to you know fill Ridley Gregg in. I think the cross check looks and is da- more dangerous than that. I think mm-hmm. I think you could you can agree on so many different facets of this. Like I, I have seen every type of dialogue online about this it has honestly like it's been the most talked about play i think in the history of the sport but until from 
in terms of like a retaliatory uh, play that, you know, Morgan Riley's a Lady Bing candidate. How dare he? Has he changed? Are the Maple Leafs like falling apart? But like, I think it comes down to Morgan Riley is a heart and soul leader of this team. Like some people think he should be the captain. And I think you could never, ever, ever question like the passion that Morgan Riley has for the Maple Leafs. I definitely think if he had the opportunity to go back and do it, he probably wouldn't cross check the guy in the neck. Like, I think that that's clearly crossing the line. I definitely think if he just started punching him and a scrum ensued, we wouldn't be talking about a five game suspension. And I've even seen comments now from Ridley Gregg online saying like, I don't know, like, why'd I do that? Right. Like, you know, I don't know. I don't think I would do that again. So we're all under the agreement that multiple things about this are, can be perceived as right and wrong. And it's kind of hard to like even get down to like unpacking it because I'm seeing it as two ways as a player and as a broadcaster, but it gave us, I don't know what day are we on now? Like 150 hours of (laughs) content and it's not going to end because he's, you know, he's appealing it. And and anyway, it's, I'm sure you want to get deeper into it, but it's like, I don't even understand like where you start, right? Like (laughs) it's just kind of crazy. It blew out of proportion for sure. Yeah. And it it was funny because you're right. I was excited to talk about this on a Wednesday, but I mean, there was, there's been another Leafs game since this Mm -hmm. happened. Like they played the blues on Tuesday and still, all the discourse is on the suspension for Morgan Riley and how this happened. And, you know, the Leafs and the Sens don't play each other until next year. And did, did Ridley Greg think about that? And uh, the one thing that we, that I really liked that we brought up earlier this week was, especially in Toronto, and you know this as well as anyone, Ailish, imagine what the response would have been. It, it probably wouldn't have gotten as large around the league, but it certainly would have in Toronto. What if there was no response? from Morgan Riley or anybody on the Leafs, right? Like, what if they just let Ridley Gregg slap it in there and they go, whatever, there's five seconds left in the game, we've lost, moving on to next week. Like, that would have been, like, it would have, I don't even know what the city of Toronto would have looked like if that's what would have happened. No, and I think, like, that's such a fair point, which is which is why my response is that I think Morgan Riley had to do something. And I'm glad he did because nobody else really came running. I mean, Max Domi did eventually get into the scrum, but Morgan Riley is kind of the perfect guy to do it because you never question, like, his his care factor, his, like, love of this team. I don't think that any of the other core four would have laid a finger on Ridley Gregg, which is part of the issue. I don't think... Tavares, Nylander, Marner, or Matthews would have responded. So I'm glad it was Morgan Riley because he he is the really the most consistent guy on this team this year and has been for his entire tenure as a Maple Leaf and is now the second longest to be signed in the future. So I'm glad he did it. Um, maybe not the end result in terms of the cross check, but if sure. nobody did anything, we would be having such a, a a referendum on the culture of this Maple Leafs team, the softness, the the lack of pushback. And, like, just because Morgan Riley did that doesn't mean that I don't also have questions about that sometimes. He kind of just changed it to, like, he overdid it. And now we're having comp- conversations about, was he overcompensating because nobody else would step up? Like, it can just be – it gets so blown out of proportion. But I think you're right. If they had just let Ridley Gregg go through the – the line and like high five his buddies. And then, you know, the end of the the game plays out quietly. I think we probably would be, you know, having a similar level of discourse about why didn't you show something? Why didn't you push back? Like 
that's embarrassing. You lost the whole se- the season series to the Sens, who are, you know, in the bottom of the NHL. You need to be winning games. Like, there's so many things that the Maple Leafs should be focusing on. Um, and they kind of got to go through that weekend without even having the dialogue of you lost to the Sens again because all we've been talking about is Morgan Riley. So, um Glad that he showed some passion, maybe turned the passion up a little bit too much. Yeah. Um, but, I mean, you, you, the, the conversation goes both ways. Either you, you didn't want a response or you wanted a response or that was too much of a response, right? Five games, where does that land with you as far as how this uh, Department of Player Safety hands out their uh, their punishment in this scenario? I, I, that one's a tough one for me, too, because – I've been also reading all the comments online that, oh, Toronto's treated differently because, like, you know, they're using Toronto as uh, as a measuring stick. And, oh, woe is me. And I'm like, I don't buy into any of this. Like, I I think Toronto gets a lot of attention because, yeah, you know what? It's a, it's a pretty popular place in terms of the hockey market. I don't think that I, like, believe that they're getting treated unfairly or poorly. Like, I think that is kind of... Uh, apologist type take and like and I, I don't want to turn that on anyone but some people believe that and I just personally don't I think if it's five games for Morgan Riley personally I think that's too many I know you can see all the videos that people are tweeting about similar incidences and like cross-referencing um, suspensions the only thing I can say now is it's five games whatever if it gets lowered because he appeals it that's it my main concern is like the Department of Player Safety is just so inconsistent it's like throwing a dart at a wall when I'm at the pub. Like, you don't know where it's going to land. <laughs> it could land on the wall. It could hit somebody that's standing there. It could go bullseye. Like, it kind of depends on how long I've been there. So yeah. you're thinking, like, the, the player department, like, that's why this has been such a discussion over the last couple of days because nobody knew in in what way, shape, or form he would be punished. Would he get one game? Would he get six? The fact that he was being uh, was asked for an in-person hearing the only the second one this entire season is it the second worst offense we've seen no maybe they're trying to make an example of Morgan Riley maybe they'll give him 20 games like it was crazy because there's no real precedent set there's no real understanding of like what the hell goes on in that office so my main thing is great we we know what Morgan Riley got the next time this happens it should be what Morgan Riley got and the next time it should happen we'll know what the standard is. That's kind of like where I'm at now. You can go back and forth all day if it should have been one game, two games, five games, whatever. I just want some less flexibility and gray areas when it comes to making these decisions because, like, that's that's just the way it should be in, in sport. Like, you should know what is the punishment and it should fit the crime. Is Morgan Riley, in your opinion, appealing this just... I don't want to say for the sake of, of, of argument, but I mean, mm. anything that goes to a, you know, it'd be different than the neutral arbitrator. I could certainly see the point of it. And I mean, look, we had an early suspension this year. Rasmus Anderson got one and you go through the arbitration. I mean, it's going to Gary Bettman and mm. it just, it feels like it would be contradictory for Bettman to, overturn his own department's decision and, you know, overturn what they get paid to do. So is he just kind of doing this on stand? Like, do you feel like there's even a decent chance that this gets knocked down from five if you're Morgan Riley? Like, I can see, I totally understand the point about Batman. Like, 
I think that that's a discussion that the players should have about let's have a neutral, like a, yeah. a neutral arbitration system moving forward. Because you're right, like is Batman going to be like, you were wrong, George Perry? Like, no, <laughs> yeah, he's not that's... going to like discredit his own services. But I do think whether Morgan Riley gets it moved down or not, he's forfeiting almost two hundred thousand dollars in salary for these six game, five games. Yeah. So even if he knocks, if the, even if he sits six sorry five of them because it might take that long for arbitration or or to appeal right because like that's happened in the past like spezza was an example where he was given x amount of games and by the time the appeal he'd already served most of like he served them all right so but you get your salary given back to you and two hundred thousand dollars like you know like you know if i'm morgan riley i would go through the process even if it's one one game less like that that could be what like 50 I'm not good at math, maybe 40 grand when it comes down to it. So, yeah, I think it makes sense to do it. I also think, hey, Brendan Shanahan used to have this role. I'm pretty sure that he had a big hand in, like, yesterday's conversation, probably the um, the arbitration or whatever process that he's going to go through right now because Brendan Shanahan knows it kind of what's going on. Uh, he used to be in George Peros's role, so I wonder if he has, like uh, – I don't know, not like a lawyer's edge, but like maybe an edge up in the discussion about why Morgan Riley should have less than five. So I think there's a couple of reasons to do it. We'll see if it's successful. Um, he'll be sitting there probably for the five games. And just because of the speed of all this, it's already next week um, when he would be back in there. Like they have a bunch of ga- games jammed together. Like they already played tomorrow, Saturday, and then Monday. So like even by that point, if they get around to it after the weekend, it, it seems pretty quick to get through the process. So I think it's good that he's doing it. I think you kind of have to just like aesthetically too. <laughs> what about on the ice? How big of a loss is that for the next five games, barring anything changing for the Leafs? Like how big of a loss is Morgan Riley on a night to night basis? Uh, probably the biggest besides losing Austin Matthews. Okay. Like, so no hyperbole. Pr- pretty minimal yeah. then. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's like, no big deal. Yeah. yeah, yeah. <laughs> But, like, last night, so last night we're doing the show for 590, of course, and um, we're doing our pregame show. We find out in the 30 minutes leading up to the game that obviously there's no Morgan Riley, um, and Marner's sick, and Tavares is sick, and Martin Jones, the backup goaltender, is sick. So now they've brought up Dennis Hill to be from the AHL, and Connor Timmons has mono, and and it's just like, and, 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 and. And I'm like, they're going to get smoked in this game it's the blues who are coming in i think they won seven or last eight so i'm like smash blues money line well <laughs> the maple leafs came out and played so hard like and i think it was it was like we are we're on rocky ground right now we know we won't have morgan riley for the next five games everyone's got their attention on us everybody's sick right now and they actually pulled it together and played one of their best defensive games of the year and I'm not not to say that that's going to carry on for the next five games, but Morgan Riley is the biggest loss on the defensive side of the game, no questions. Offensively, he's like top four. He has been contributing so much to this Maple Leafs team. He's a leader. He just made his first All-Star game. Like missing Morgan Riley is so so crucial uh, for the way that this this Leafs team clicks. But if I'm using just like revisionist history of last night. I don't know. They found another level, maybe to compensate, maybe to say like, you know what? The world's against us. Morgan Riley got five games. Let's show them. But I really think that they, they can play better when their backs are against the wall than they do when they come in and they're kind of 
think that they've already won a game. You know what I mean? Like they, yep. they can approach a game sometimes like, oh, whatever. Like we have the core four. We got Morgan Riley. No problem. And when they're looking like a skeleton of a roster last night, I was really impressed with what they put together. But, yeah, the next couple games, I wouldn't say it is their toughest stretch of schedule, uh, but the Flyers tomorrow night, like the Flyers are in the same playoff push as the Maple Leafs. They got the Ducks Saturday night, which should be okay. The Blues again on Monday. And then they got the Coyotes, but you know how that works. Half the time you play a bad team, you end up winning, uh, losing anyway. And then Morgan Riley comes back in time for the Vegas Golden Knights. No big deal. So, yeah, it's important to, like, tread water. Um, but, yeah, Morgan Riley is, is, is one of the most important Maple Leafs. So I, I'm hoping that they can find a way to, to, I don't know, have Bobby McMahon score a hat-trick every night. Like, it's crazy. <laughs> the guy was in the ECHL, like, a minute ago, and he got a hat-trick last night. It was amazing. <laughs> yeah, it's not bad to uh, make a good impression when you come up to the NHL level and go, yeah, maybe you could. Seriously. You, you could probably play up a little bit higher than the, the East Coast <laughs> League. I think you're doing all right, Bobby. That was pretty uh, good. It was a nice story. Like, as I said, last night went 0% of the way I thought it would. So sometimes that's the beauty of sports, right? <laughs> yeah. Uh, before I let you go, how fun was Sunday for, for everybody? I mean, uh, our ladies pull off the reverse sweep <clears throat> second year in a row that they decided to make it uh, <laughs> stressful for us. But I don't yeah. know, after they won the second game, I was kind of like, I kind of feel like we're, we've got the momentum going. I was just kind of kind of feeling it, and they just pounded them in the last game. I was like, okay. I love every minute of it. And then Super Bowl was, I thought it was fun for the most part. I'm not mm-hmm. a, you know, I'm not a Chiefs guy because of my Chargers <laughs> loyalty, but I thought it was still a decent game. Like Sunday was a pretty fun sporting day. Well, last time I talked to you, I said I was recovering a little bit from NHL All Star Weekend. Well, I ended up, I had COVID and I spent the last six days alone with my dog watching TV and consuming all of it though. So I actually, (laughs) I had great viewing all weekend long. I had the battle of uh, of Ontario, which was so content filled Sunday. I'm laying there like in my NyQuil haze watching um, the, the ladies do the reverse sweep. And then I got the super bowl. So like it was, it was, you know, not, there's never good timing for that, but it was good. I had lots to watch. Um, But yeah, the, the team Canada side of it first, the reverse sweep once is crazy. The reverse sweep twice is like, is, okay, is Americans, like, are they okay? Because that, you already know. And I think it must have just been like, uh-oh, they're not doing this again, are they? Like, they they can't be doing it again. Yeah. And I think it gets in your head. You're right. That second game, tables turn completely. It's like, uh-oh, we got our backs up against the wall. The Canadians are coming hungry. And during that, like, um, bit of time where they do half the rivalry series and the other half, the rosters switch a bit, right? And so I think Canada had the advantage of knowing exactly what holes they needed to fill. The Americans maybe thought that things were good, you know, they were up, like, they just needed a little bit of uh, of rest and I was so proud to see them do that. And they did it in such dominant fashion and they did it in the States. So haha, it's even better. Um, and then, yeah, the, uh, the Super Bowl was obviously a bit of a slow start, but I'll tell you, I made off like a bandit plus 400 chiefs in the third quarter. Uh, I was Ooh. like, yep. I, I went a couple units heavy on that. So Chiefs plus 400 money line, watching that game going to overtime, the coin toss, and then you don't defer. I'm like, oh, this is this happening. Like, it just was a storybook for my betting account. Um, and also just, you know, because I wanted to see the love story, Taylor Swift and Travis. <laughs> like, I wanted to see it, and we got it all. But it ended up being a great game. Um, 
a such like such a you know I, I didn't really know what to expect because obviously Dole's fandom it's hard to cheer for anyone but I got on board and I was uh, uh, happy and I profited so I guess that's the way to go through uh, the end of the season when you're not your team's not playing right yeah you were there for Travis Kelsey and Taylor Swift I was there for Jason Kelsey in a wrestling mask oh he's the and best. overall oh my god <laughs> have you seen his stuff on, on their new Heights podcast today they're talking about you got to watch their latest clip it's amazing they're talking about him. And uh, and marshmallow, I guess that's a I don't know. I'm not a big DJ guy, but that's like at the Vegas clubs. Like their latest podcast clip with the two of them talking about how he was dancing and like Jason, like oh it, they did get into it and they talked about the party and it yeah. looks it looks amazing. So uh, they're they're so funny. I I love their relationship and I'm glad that they have lots of fun and they like kind of let you in, right? You feel like you were there at the party. So. Yeah, I love that. I'm gonna have to go check it out. I haven't seen it yet today, but I love everything they're doing. It's so nice to have somebody like being open to it and having fun and talking yeah. about stuff going on. And Jason's just I, I love that Jason throws on Chiefs gear. And yeah. it's like, I'm cheering for my brother. Like, I'm going to be excited oh, yeah. for him. Like, I don't care. Yes, I play for the Eagles, but and they come first, but we're out of it. So I'm going to cheer for my brother. I love that. Yeah. And you know what? I think it's really sweet. And I, I mean, my brother and I always thought, but uh, he would, you know, he would eventually come and cheer me on too. But never were we ever in like the Super Bowl level of things. But yeah. once he had that luchador mask on, uh, Jason <laughs> Kelsey, he just became an entirely different guy. And uh, he talks about it on the podcast. So go check that. I, I laughed so hard. It was awesome. Uh, looking forward to it. Ailish, you're the best. Uh, appreciate you hopping on as always. Have a great week. We'll chat with you next week, eh? Yes, thanks so much. Have a good one. Take care. Ailish Forfar joining us down the Atlas Beach and Sports Bar guest hotline, our Wednesday regular coming down the Atlas Beach and Sports Bar guest hotline. Hey, the Sportsnet 960 Beer League broadcast going down March 22nd at the Flames Community Arena. we got our teams, the morning show going with the Dream Team. The afternoon show has got the Arctic Monkeys. Each team going to be receiving custom jerseys thanks to our friends at Tuxedo Source for Sports. We're going to have an after party at Wild Rose Brewery. Uh, serving up premium craft beer to Albertans since 1996. Whether you're looking for a finely tuned craft lager or a robust porter, you get something for everyone. Find them around Alberta and at their tap room in the Curry Barracks. Make sure you tune in to live play-by-play of all the subpar action. Puck drop goes at 6.30. For more details, head to sportsnet.ca slash 960. More on the Calgary Flames and their upcoming homestand and uh, more on uh, Jacob Markstrom. From NHL insider Frank Cervalli, we'll dive into all of that and more. Hour 2 continues next here on Sportsnet 960, The Fan. One more day without Flames hockey. They're back Thursday against the San Jose Sharks. Start of a four-game homestand at the Scotiabank Sound Dome, which sees two afternoon games. The one and only visit from the Boston Bruins this season as well. It's always fun when an original six-team Comes to town, but while we wait for Flames Hockey to return, all anyone can talk about is the rumor mill and the three Flames, yes, three Flames that are circulating around every NHL insider's phone right now. Thought it might just be Chris Tanev and Noah Hannafin before the trade deadline, but after Saturday night's report on headlines by NHL insider Elliot Friedman of Sportsnet that the Flames and Devils were working on a Jacob Markstrom trade that came to a swift halt over the weekend, everyone's kind of wondered 
what happened with that situation? Is there more to be discussed? And our NHL insider Frank Saravalli from Daily Faceoff, who joins Pat Steinberg on Flames Talk every Tuesday, had some perfect timing to join Pat on the program and sort of dove into just how close the Markstrom to the devil situation was and maybe what held it up from a Flames and Devils perspective. Let's hear from Frank Saravalli from Flames Talk on Tuesday. And that is Jacob Markstrom. Frank, how how close to being a New Jersey Devil was Jacob Markstrom at some point last week? As close as one could get without actually changing jerseys. My understanding and sources indicate that the the Calgary Flames and New Jersey Devils had agreed to a deal in principle, and Jacob Markstrom had agreed to waive his no trade. I don't know if a formal paper was put in front of him for him to put signature to, but he was in agreement and willing to go. And at some point, just before getting it across the finish line, this deal was scuttled. And I don't know how, I don't know why, I don't know who did it, but I can tell you that the two sides had gone as far down the path as you possibly can before executing a trade without actually doing it. So, and, and without knowing what scuttled it and, and without knowing why it didn't get past the finish line, what's your read or gut on whether or not this could be revisited? Probably pretty small because I do think there was some factor of salary retention involved, and I don't know if that's what crushed it or not. I think the Flames, to my knowledge, have the green light to use their salary retention positions if they'd like to. But I I don't think New Jersey is in a position where they can take Jacob Markstrom at full boat or would want to, more to the point. Um, And so I don't know. Can something change? I mean, it can always... Look, people that were once married get divorced, they get married again. Mm -hmm. So anything can happen, uh, as, as odd as that sounds. I do think that there was a certain level of frustration on New Jersey's end, and probably understandably so, uh, that this didn't get completed. I think they probably were sitting back thinking that they had solved one of their big issues and woes this year. And then also not just for this year, but had gotten some stability in the crease. And you hear players like Jack Hughes after last night's game, like basically chirping their goalies, if not intentionally saying it's easy to win when you get saves. Like that's, you know, that that's a situation that bears watching and needs fixing. I just don't know that it's going to come from Calgary's end. So that's NHL insider Frank Suravalli from Daily Faceoff on Flames Talk with Pat on Tuesday. You can find that wherever you get your favorite podcasts on Sportsnet 960. So Frank says it was as close as you can get without actually swapping jerseys. And that opens up a whole lot of dialogue about the future of the Calgary Flames. It's vaulted Jacob Markstrom to the top of many trade boards as we get closer to the trade deadline. And look, you've heard on this station in whether it's been on Jeff Merrick's show, whether it's been 
on headlines. You know, Elliot Friedman's made the point many times that the Flames would not approach Jacob Markstrom about a trade unless it was pretty much a done deal. They know he doesn't like his name being out in these sort of things. Doesn't want to have to answer the day-to-day questions about it. So they're not going to bother him with something unless it's serious. So it was serious. If that's to the point that it got approval from Jacob Markstrom, it was serious. And as Frank said there, we don't know what held this up at the very last moment. But even without knowing that, it still opened up a lot to talk about with the Calgary Flames. And I think, one, the indication that maybe they're willing to trade Jacob Markstrom is one that we weren't sure about. There's been plenty. I've been on the train as well that wondered about a future of a Markstrom-Wolf tandem for this team as soon as next season. Maybe that doesn't happen. Maybe this is a much younger goaltending group going forward. It also says something about perhaps how Jacob Markstrom feels about the situation in Calgary. Not saying that he is forcing his way out or demanding out of Calgary because I don't think that's the case. But I think it's a pretty clear indication that if you're the Calgary Flames and you present Jacob Markstrom with the right opportunity, that he would consider it and perhaps even accept it if he felt that the next place gave him an opportunity. And again, I don't know if it's the the situation the team is in, whether it's their stakes at a, a Stanley Cup or, or whatever that, that motivates Jacob's uh, waiving of his no-trade clause. It, but let's go under the assumption that it's to win a Stanley Cup. We know he's competitive. We know he hasn't had a long playoff run past the second round and... That's something he'd like to accomplish. So say if you brought him, you know, a deal that sends him to a Stanley Cup contender, it sure feels like that would be something that he would be open to. And for the Calgary Flames, it now opens up the door of perhaps another asset group coming in for this team. After the Elias Lindholm trade happened to Vancouver, a lot of us focused our, our attention, and rightfully so, on Chris Tanev and Noah Hannafin and starting to wonder what those deals might look like. And on the Hannafin side of things, there was talks about, you know, getting a final decision on Noah about his future in Calgary. And we've had those sort of conversations, but the Jacob Markstrom one to me is, is incredibly interesting because as much as I think there are suitors for Tanev and Hannafin out there, I I think if you're a team in need of goaltending, how do you not look at the year that Jacob Markstrom's had and not call Craig Conroy and say, how do we how do we try to make this happen? Like maybe what happened with the New Jersey trade that held it up and how can we come to terms to this? Because for the Calgary Flames, you appear to have the next guy in the system in Dustin Wolf, and you're probably selling close to as high as you might ever get on Jacob Markstrom. I, I'm not an insider. I'm not as connected as... as Pat or Elliot or Frank or anything like that. So I don't know what the return is. I don't know what you're talking about, but just being around it and hearing, you know, the stuff that I hear, you'd feel like Jacob Markstrom would net you a pretty decent return. Would he not? Frank went as far to say, I don't think salary retention is an issue from a flame side of things. So if you are retaining 
money on Jacob Markstrom. Well, that's going to cost the acquiring team some sort of asset as well. I mean, the Flames could be looking at a pretty substantial haul of assets if when it's all said and done, even going into the summer, let's extend it into that, if between September and the end of this upcoming summer in 2024, they've moved out Nikita Zadorov, Elias Lindholm, Noah Hannafin, Chris Tanev, and Jacob Markstrom. That would be massive for this organization. And I think it's I I know it's the I think it's the right way to go about it. I think there is a definite subsection of the fan base that thinks that's the right way to go about it. At the same time, as we talk on this Wednesday, the Flames sit what three points out of a playoff spot, and we know the mantra in the locker room isn't worried about the mindset in the locker room isn't worried about the trades. They're going to go out there and try to win as many hockey games as they possibly can. But from a long-term perspective, from a, I won't say rebuild, but retool perspective, I mean, that's got to be pretty tantalizing if you're the Calgary Flames, if you're able to to find a, a new home for five of those assets and really set yourself up for the next couple of years, draft picks, and, you know, as we've seen, maybe young NHLers coming back to this team, if those are the five guys you wind up moving out of here. And I, I think it's as realistic as we've ever gotten to at this point. Again, I don't know that it sure doesn't sound like New Jersey loved how things went if you listen to Frank there. And I don't know that we see the Flames and Devils hook up for a trade with Jacob Markstrom, but... There are plenty of other NHL teams that I think fit the bill for you know wanting to pick up a Vesna caliber season that Jacob Markstrom's having, and maybe with salary retention, it does net Craig Conroy a massive return. So it's definitely something to watch for, and uh, a story that's picked up a lot uh, of steam over the last couple of days. Uh, some of the texts at nine six zero nine six zero. Fan feedback line, which is always open to you. Uh, Crispy says, if they deal Markstrom, do you think they pick up another goalie anytime soon? I feel like they would need to find someone to play for the Wranglers. Do they already have another goalie to fill the open spot? If so, who? Uh, I believe they'd be okay bodies-wise in that situation. Uh, Assuming Dan Vladar is healthy. I think you'd see Wolf and Vladar at the NHL level, and I think you'd see uh, probably Connor Murphy, Oscar Dansk. Connor Murphy just got his first AHL win. Yes, yesterday. Uh, so I think that's, I think that's what you look. I think bodies wise, if they didn't get a goaltender in return, uh, in a deal for Jacob Markstrom, I think they would still be okay bodies wise. I don't know if they would. I really don't know if they would look to to add anybody else this season. The thing that's interesting to me about Markstrom is, obviously it's a very different stage of his career, but back, you know, five, six years ago, he was the one that mentored and he was the one that helped develop Thatcher Demko. And you've got a guy like Dustin Wolf, and I'm not saying that, you know, your goal should be to keep Markstrom to the end of his contract. I think right now his value is very high. And, you know, with this Devils, this Devils trade, it was obviously very close. I, I just, it would be weird to see it happen... I think during the season, 
I, I, this is with no basis. I'm expecting it more towards uh, in the off season. And it just, but if his values is high now, and if someone's willing to pay the price now, yeah, I, I think you have to look at. It. I think it's a missed opportunity mm-hmm. for this organization. Even as good as Jacobs playing, he's got two years left on his contract. Mm-hmm. After that, are you realistically going to be competitive in those next two years? And if the answer is no, first of all, there's nothing wrong with that. Yeah. But then the answer should be pretty easy to moving out an asset that's playing as well as he is right now. Mm-hmm. At least in my mind, it is. And I love Jacob. I think Jacob's been fantastic this year. I can't even tell you where this team would be without him playing at this kind of level. But I think you're doing yourself a disservice if you don't try to sell high on an asset that isn't going to be a part of your long-term future. And that's just the reality. I don't see Jacob Markstrom, even if he's with Calgary the next two years, I just don't see a future past that. If everything continues to trend the way it has with Dustin Wolf, it should be his team in two years' time. So, yeah, it's just, it's, again, I don't know specifically what held it up, but if you're the Calgary Flames, it's still going to be something I would be interested in in pursuing and seeing what's out there because I would imagine it's a fairly decent price to acquire a guy like Jacob Markstrom mm-hmm. with salary retention. So we'll see. Um, this text says, I think it's been fairly widely reported at this point. It was part of salary retention on Mark on Markstrom that was the hiccup to the deal. It's, I don't think it were clear on that. Uh, because as in that clip, Frank specifically says he believes the Flames have the green light to use salary retention. Is salary retention this season? Is salary is he okay, are the Flames giving a green light to use salary retention for two more years of Jacob Markstrom's deal? I think that part to me is still sort of unclear when we're talking about this. Uh, this text is if the Flames are serious about cashing in on both Hannafin and Tanev, uh, it would be nice to see how well the third pairing can handle the extra five to seven minutes per night. Just one game of more ice time for Shillington and Pahal. That from Clayton. And I don't disagree with you, Clayton. It's going to be an interesting thing to see. The problem is uh, Ryan Huska doesn't care about um, what it's going to look like without Hannafin and Tanev until it happens. His job is to win hockey games and to move the pieces as best he can to win hockey games. So as much fun as it would be to see... 18, 17 minutes of Bahal and Shillington on any night. Um, a lot of people would raise an eyebrow at Ryan Huska downing to, especially Noah Hannafin, who's been at like 26, 27 minutes some nights over this road trip for the Calgary Flames. Um, that's just not where Ryan Huska's head has to be at for any of this. And that's that's just going back to to the Markstrom thing. Like you, you trade, say you trade Tanev. Yes, that's a huge hit to your blue line. It, it certainly is. Someone's got to step up. I think they can recover. And I, I know I'm not speaking a team tank here, and I know that this is not going to make some people very happy. But right now, they're winning games, and right now they're they're trying to make a playoff push. And I'm not saying they should go in for that, but you trade Markstrom, the season's done. I, like he, He's been the MVP. I, I don't, I, like, it doesn't matter who you put in. You are not getting the same level of goaltending, and you will not make the playoffs. I know, I know that the odds are, the odds are down, but trading a Hannafin or trading a Tanev, 
you still have a chance. Trading Markstrom, you have no chance. And that's that's where I would have some of the hesitation because they're playing good hockey, and that's good for the development. There's a lot of young guys on this team. They're playing good hockey. I I I believe that if you trade Markstrom, you are going to lose some of that drive and some of that push. And I just don't think that helps the young guys um, as as much as it would when Markstrom's here. Uh, this from Darren and Mackenzie Lake. He says, we've been lucky to have such professionals on the team. We owe it to Jacob, Tanev, Coleman to put them in a p- better position for the end of their careers. Don't forget, they came over expecting to pursue a cup with Johnny and Kachuk, not rebuild. Uh, this text on the other side of things uh, says, talk about a revolving door. The trades that you're talking about with Tanev and Markstrom, etc. you're not going to get better players in return. You have a situation that needs to be corrected where players need to want to play in Calgary. You can sugarcoat it all you want, uh, and why would you want to get rid of Markstrom if you want to compete? Getting younger isn't the answer. I've been listening to this for so many years and hear the same conversations here year after year since Jerome was playing. I, I disagree with that. I, I Yes, you're not straight up getting a better goaltender in return for Jacob Markstrom in a trade, but you're getting younger assets. Potentially you get a younger winger that can be better than some of the wingers you have now, or you draft hopefully players that can be better than some that you have now. I, I actually think, and look, we can disagree. That's a whole part of the conversation is you're totally open to your own opinion on things. I think this team does need to get younger. And I think they need to start exploring life past Chris Tanev and past Jacob Markstrom because uh, the way that this team is constructed in my mind isn't winning anything in the Stanley Cup playoffs. That's that's just me. So I, I think you, you rebuild with younger players and draft pick asset capital rather than veterans. That's that's where I stand. If you don't think getting younger is the answer, you're you're totally open to uh, to thinking that. Uh, this text says, I don't think trading Jacob is the right move. Wolf needs to be playing behind Marky for a full season. We have no clue if Wolf can even be that guy. Uh, this text says, I think the Flames would retain salary on Markstrom this year, but I don't think they're interested in retaining salary for two more years after this. That could be a problem. Flames... Um, if you retain salary, you have to retain it for the remainder of the contract. So um, if they do go down that road with Markstrom, it's for the rest of this season and the next two years. So something to definitely think about. And uh, this says all the insiders said they wouldn't even ask Markstrom to waive his no call, his no trade clause unless it was a deal you couldn't say no to. With that being said, who do you think the devils were willing to give up for Markstrom? I don't know. I'm not well-versed enough in those sort of conversations to give you that kind of answer. All I would say is I would go back to the conversation I had uh, with James Nichols, who covers the the Devils for um, the Hockey News, uh, New Jersey Hockey Now, I should say, and had a bit of that conversation about who the Devils might use as trade bait. And the name that he gave out was an Alexander Holtz. Um, he's a 22-year-old right shot from Sweden, a former seventh overall pick in 2020. Hasn't really found his stride with the Devils uh, on a full-time basis. This is the most he's played this season. He's got 23 points in 52 games, 12 goals, 11 assists. 
Um, so that's not me coming with any sort of insider knowledge. That's somebody from the New Jersey area that I asked on the show um, a week ago what kind of assets the Devils might be willing to move out, and Holtz was the name that, that he threw out. Um, so I would go with, with his um, his version of it, and that, I think that would fit right along with what the Flames are looking for. 22-year-old, uh, high-pedigree guy, like I said, a former top 10 uh, selection in an NHL draft that kind of feels like how Craig Conroy's um, gone about some of his business. That's, again, I'm not trying to claim insider status. So don't don't tweet me. Don't Pittsburgh Penguins me like this happened a couple of years ago um, and, and send me spiraling on a name that I don't have inside information on. Um, but that's my guess is something about that. Uh, this text says, do you think Luke Hughes would have been on the table? No. I don't. I think um, in New Jersey, the likes of Hughes, Jack, and Luke, and uh, a guy like Simon, uh, Simon Nemitz are probably no starters uh, for the New Jersey Devils. That's just my opinion, though. Uh, lots on the text line at 960-960. Appreciate all of your feedback on a busy day here on Sportsnet today. No flames. Uh, They're just practicing today, getting set uh, for a game day Thursday against the San Jose Sharks. We're back to some regular timing, at least for one game. Uh, it'll be a 7 o'clock puck drop with Derek and Megan here on Sportsnet 960. Pat Steinberg will have your Flames warm up. We'll get you set with everything you need to know earlier on in the day. But putting a wrap on the show today, thank you to Ailish Forfar for joining us. Uh, thanks to Cam and Shan for their great work and their participation on a Valentine's Day edition of Wildcard Wednesday. I heard from head coach Ryan Huska, Andre Kuzmenko, and more on a game day. So if you missed any of it, make sure to check us out on the podcast. Google, Amazon, Spotify, or your favorite podcatcher. We'd love to have you along for the ride. Have a great Wednesday. Happy Valentine's Day. Uh, Hope you have a great day with yours truly. We will talk to you on a Thursday game day tomorrow here on Sportsnet 960 The Fan.